0: Love Talk
1: Radio Yo, this is your boy G-Ski Rocks And this is going out to the lovely, lovely women Of the world I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision But I want you to think about
0: quickly, except that the volume button is very, very uncooperative. Anyhow, welcome to Pro-Life Fridays Radio. I am your host for the moment, Letitia Wong. It is a wonderful, brand new 2014, our first show of the year, our first broadcast. I am excited. We have a whole lot to talk about. Uh with me on the line is my co-host.
2: Hey, what's up, Leticia? Happy 2014 New Year.
0: Happy New Year to you too, Thomas.
2: And we're going to rock this year. We're going to really we're really going to set this whole thing on fire. So, looking forward to it.
0: Absolutely. Well, as we do every week, we uh quote the scripture that is the, the whole purpose for this program, and that is?
2: Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, which says, I record this day again with you, and that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life so that you and your seed might live. Dear Lord God, we thank you in the name of Jesus for another year, Lord God. And, Father, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus for the McMath family, for Jehi, Father God, and we pray that you would just intervene on behalf of this young lady. Father, we give you glory, honor, and praise in the mighty name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, um, it says on our show description today that we're going to talk about the Jehia McMath case, and we are, uh, but there is something that kind of crossed my news feed this morning, or later this afternoon, I should say, that I really wanted to address. Now, I did not have a, a you know, I didn't prepare to talk about it, except that something really kind of got under my skin about this, and so we're going to just... We're going to throw this out there for commentary because I think it's important. I think it's important to talk about this being the nature of the show being Pro-Life Friday, radio and all. Uh, I certainly want to invite our listening audience to call in. The number to call in is 760-542-3907 for questions or comments that are related to the topics that we're talking about. Uh, We would love to have you on. Um, So... Do you remember how the Texas pro-life law, HB2, re- made it a requirement for abortion clinic, abortion facility doctors to, be ha- to have a- admitting privileges in hospitals uh, in order for them to run their abortion facilities? Right. And, and first I want to make sure people understand, let's go back in time a few months, And to make sure people understand exactly why this bill, when it was a bill, was drafted. It was drafted for the purpose of making sure that the abortionists were not the type of abortionists that we found in Douglas Carpenter and the most notorious of all, Kermit Gosnell. Because for almost two decades, Kermit Gosnell operated his abortion facility, his house of cat feces, as I like to call it. Uh, It was known as the house of horrors, but it's more factually called the house of cat feces. Abusing women, having terrible practices in general, doing illegal drug prescriptions as on top of the fact that he was killing babies. Being an abortionist is bad enough, but on top of that he was performing illegal abortions past the 24 week mark, which is illegal in the state of Pennsylvania, and he was doing it in such a way that he was killing live babies that were born. Now, the problem is, for him, just, we are talking about abortion as a profession. I know that's just disgusting to say, but let's look at it in those terms. He was not good enough at what he did in order to complete the abortion lawfully. Right. So what is what is faster than that? the fastest way to abort a child is to bring the child fully out of the womb and then kill the baby. That way you know for certain that you have done the job that you set out to do. Well, that, of course, is flagrantly illegal, brutal, terrible nobody, not even Planned Parenthood who was caught trying, having to uh, backpedal their defense of him from years before had to say and admit that everything he did was wrong. So Texas decided that they were going to write a law, the Texas legislature was going to write a law to make it harder for abortionists like Kermit Gosnell to perform abortions in this manner. It made them more difficult to skirt the law because now... Those abortionists have to come under the scrutiny of a hospital, which means their their practices have to be at a minimum level of acceptability. Now you're telling me, Leticia, you know abortion is not acceptable under any circumstances. You're right, but what we are talking about is that the state imposed a level of accountability that had up till this point not been imposed on abortion clinics. That additional scrutiny had closed down, I don't know, what what, what was it, 12 abortion facilities? I, I can't think of the number right off the top of my head, in Texas. It basically wiped out a whole bunch of abortion facilities, because abortionists would rather close their business than comply with the law and receive greater scrutiny on their facilities. Why? Because people right. don't like to do what's out in the open. They don't like to be out in the open. They want to do what they want to do in the dark, away from the eyes of the law. So, okay, so this, so we come to the story and the, that there's one uh one abortion clinic in San Antonio, one abortion clinic in Dallas, their doctors, their abortionists, I should say, gain admitting privileges at hospitals. So now they are allowed to stay, they are allowed to stay open. And along comes the laws, naysayers, and mind you, these are not the pro-abortionists. These are supposedly like-minded people against abortion, who don't like to call themselves pro-life and shall remain nameless on this program for this purpose only, <laughs> to criticize and say, okay, this law has now allowed abortion clinics to stay open. And we told you so, because we created, criticized this law as, as, not, as instead of a full abolition, of abortion it is allowing people to run a certain way in order to make abortion, to maintain abortion in the state and I will give them that I will give them yes that is what happens but no it isn't this terrible thing that they're trying to make it out to be I will I will give credit where credit is due. Yes, this affects if we I mean this is this is inevitable. If you put restrictions and demands for abortion facilities to comply with certain laws and regulations, then according to those laws and regulations they will stay open if they, if they do comply. But the point is most chose not to comply and close are those that are so ambitious that they would comply of course there were nobody was naive enough to think that a simple act of regulating an abortion clinic would eliminate all of them that would be naive to think so and nobody's that naive but now we have greater ability this okay This was, to me, to me, this is how I look at it. To me, this is a test case. How far can we push around these abortion facilities and these abortionists? This is a tactic that the left has been using against uh, social conservatives for decades and decades on end. They push people around a little bit here, a little bit there, and see where they can move you. (laughs) Because that's how, in the long term, they find out where your weaknesses are and then they can eliminate you. I don't see any reason why this technique, this legal technique, won't work on the left as well and won't work on pro-abortion forces and abortion clinics. Right. So nobody expected all abortion clinics to close in Texas just because of one law, but we are finding out where their weaknesses are. And the tighter we can screw the heads on top of these abortion clinics, the more we will find their breaking point. If we cannot do it through the legislature, or actually if we could, haven't been able to do it through the courts, because the court and v. Wade and everything else that's involved has been an obstacle, we have to make an end run around it. And that's what pro-life legislation has was designed to do. So this legislation is, is not all bad. <laughs> and it isn't an I told you so moment, saying, oh, you're just, just legitimizing these abortion facilities. No, they're not more legitimate than they used to be. Now we have more control over them, and now Texas can find a way to shut those down. So and that's, that's my opinion about all that. Would I like to see these particular two close? Of course I would. Of course I would. But I just watched uh, Amazing Grace, which is the story of William Wilberforce. Uh, I I actually I loved it so much because it was his story. I went and purchased the movie, um, where his friends and I—you guys are gonna just hate me because I forget his name—in the Parliament, in the English Parliament, when they were trying to find a way to abolish slavery and the African slave trade, they came up against a lot of the similar arguments, a lot of the a lot of the. And obstacles, and his friend was saying, and it seemed like it was hopeless, you know, how are we going to legislatively pass something, ending the slave trade, when nobody will vote for it, and his friend had said, well, we don't, and he was like, what, his friend says, we don't do that, we cheat, and I think that was the most clever way for them to undermine the slave trade that had had up to that point ever been conceived. And they succeeded. They succeeded in cutting down the African slave trade by, I I think it was 80 to 90%. And were there people back then that made the same argument? Well, they didn't abolish it. Well, no, they didn't. Well, they, they made it possible for those who complied with the law to keep trading slaves. Well, yes, they did. but that the legislation they championed was the beginning the, one of the first dominoes to fall against the slavery practice. And we want to see all the dominoes Fall against the practice of abortion. If we have to come at it from the side, we will. If we have to come at, if we can come at it directly, most of us will choose that. I, I haven't heard a single pro-life person disagree with that. I'm sure there's somebody out there that would. I I don't put it past anybody, but I haven't heard it yet. And darn well almost everybody would say if we could abolish abortion today, flat out, we would. So I, you know, so that's, I wanted to say that really quickly because I don't want people to understand that the purpose of pro-life legislation is to, to prolong something. That is not the purpose of a law like HB2 in Texas, it wasn't meant to prolong anybody's business of aborting babies, Um, so just just to keep the focus where it ought to be. Now, today, uh, here on Pro-Life Fridays Radio, uh, switching subjects now to our our topic of the day, I make it a personal goal of mine to articulate a fully-orbed pro-life ethic, that is, what, and what we've said this, and we've said this here on many occasions before, pro-life is not just about abortion. It is about operating on a consistent whole-life, pro-life ethic that applies just as much to end-of-life issues as beginning-of-life issues and every moment in between. So issues like sex, uh, sex trafficking, human trafficking, honor killing religious persecution, reproductive technology, assisted suicide, and of course abortion are all ways of promulgating one underlying ethical injustice, and that is slavery. I know somebody out there clutching their chest right now. <gasps> Did you just equate? Reproductive technology to slavery? I'm pretty sure somebody is asking that question right about now. Well, you know, I said those things in the same sentence, which means they are related in one fundamental way. But I didn't say they were equal in terms of their practical realities. So we do, I do make distinctions between actual practices, but I don't want to overlook the fact that all of the pro-life issues that we can hear on this show, on this program, consider pro-life issues, are, are not the same thing fundamentally, fundamentally in terms of their philosophy and ethics going forward. Okay, so but the issue at hand today is a story we briefly mentioned about last week from California. Thirteen-year-old Jahai McMath is right now in a hospital on life support. Hospital doctors have declared her brain dead and want her removed from all life support, including feeding and hydration. That's what I heard the latest. Um, I'm not real certain. Some of this news is rumor and some of it is not. So I can't be, of those things that I can't be 100% sure, I'm just going to say I think that's what I read. Uh, hospitals, um, all of this, <clears throat> excuse me, all of this is happening, however, against the expressed wishes of the family who has been fighting a judge's orders to remove her life support. Uh, it was supposed to happen on Monday, last Monday. Uh, the prayers, prayers were answered on Monday when they, the family, received a stay of that order until January 7th, which, of course, is approaching quickly. Advocates for the family have been working very hard to find an alternate facility in which to place Jahai, one that will honor the family's wishes to sustain her on life support. There have been notable groups advocating for them, Uh, the Terry Schievel Life and Hope Network as well as Issues for Life Foundation uh, from which we are very pleased to have Walter Hoy speak with to speak with in a few minutes here on the show. Uh, Those two groups in particular have been very supportive of the family, speaking for them, trying to find uh, physicians that will aid and assist them Uh, from what I hear I got a very brief and incomplete call from one of the attorneys from the Terry Shiloh Network uh, that, has, that there has been no shortage of doctors willing to perform the surgery needed to move Jahai. Uh She needs a breathing tube, uh, for one thing, I think she needs a couple of things done before she can be properly moved from the hospital to another facility. Uh, they're also looking for another facility. I now, Thomas, did they find one?
2: Well, they said um, they're looking at they're looking at um, a facility in New York City, but I don't know. I don't know how that's going. Or not New okay. York City, but upstate New York.
0: Okay. Uh, uh- <laughs> All right I won't make a terrible joke at this point um, but <laughs> that just sounds terrible upstate uh, i I hope that they do find a facility and now now these are one of the rumors they did find one they haven't found one. they are soon to find one somebody's looking so in 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 and around that issue of finding another facility um somebody is working on finding that facility. And well, you know what this case reminds me of, it reminds me of that baby named Joseph from Canada who was who was born with a terminal uh, congenital failure or I guess it was a neuro- neurological uh, disease where uh, without you know without considerable medical intervention, the baby would die uh, is The baby had difficulty breathing, and so the baby was on a respirator. And the hospital in Canada simply wanted to remove all breathing assistance for this baby and let the baby die. And the parents objected terribly. They're like, you are not letting my baby die in this hospital. And they were overruled. They were overruled by the hospital. I don't know if they got a judge, to if the the hospital also, like, Jehai McNabb case here got a judge to order, you know, the removal of these uh, all of the breathing tubes and everything. Um, so it became that the family, the family accepted the baby's eventual death, but they wanted, they did not want their baby to die in the hospital uh, out of neglect, which is exactly what this baby would have experienced. So they wanted the hospital to just perform uh, a tracheostomy or I forget what it is, tracheotomy to
1: to give the baby a
0: breathing tube so that they can leave. They can leave the hospital with their baby and not put their baby in the morgue. And the hospital wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. And this is exactly the same thing that's happening with this hospital in California. In order to move they need to perform the surgery, but the hospital is refusing to perform the surgery. Uh, And now I have a couple of questions we have uh, for one of our guests, uh, Dr. Paul Byrne, who's going to talk to us a little bit about the medical ethics and the medical aspect of what could be happening in her case. Uh, But I, I really don't know why the hospital... Would refuse such a thing unless they just think it's not worth their while. That it's so much—it's so much easier to turn off all the machines than to put her in an operating room to give her a chance uh, to live in a different facility, you know, with the wishes of her family. So, and this is this is a lot bigger. And I know this is, everybody's like, well, what about the 13-year-old girl? It is about her, but it is so much more, it's so much, this issue is so much bigger than her. Because, you know, this, is, this happens quite frequently.
2: Right.
0: What's happening to Jahai is not brand new. It's go, it happened before her. It's going to happen after her. It's happening to probably many people across the country as we speak but I think the reason this has gotten some media traction and some media attention is because of the way that it happened, that she was uh, not in the hospital for any kind of trauma or, or didn't become brain dead or whatever it is that they say she has uh, because of some accident. Uh, outside of the hospital she was in the hospital for routine tonsil surgery you know, I had my tonsils taken out and I can't imagine something going so horribly wrong that it would cause her to die um, so I, I don't know the details I, I hope the family finds out the details of how that all happened but at the very least it sounds so suspicious to me that the hospital is very tight-lipped at this point, and it, it, the, the pit in my stomach says they want to send this poor girl to the morgue so that people would stop asking questions about how she got to where she is. Um, Patricia, yeah, I, I'm sorry, what?
2: I was going to say something else to throw out for people to consider is this. Argan harvesting.
0: Yeah, you're right about that. Unfortunately, you are right about that. You know, I—that's I, something. That's one thing that sends chills down my spine. And I know this for a fact that it's true. And you know, it's very hard for me personally to think about that because it is—it is harrowing. It is just the thought. Of people dying prematurely because doctors really want to harvest their organs is—I don't know about you—but it just frightens the living daylights out of me, and I'm frightened for those other people. And you know, I don't think of myself as that having, you know, having to go through that. You know, <clears throat> I hope not. <laughs> Lord willing. But, uh, you know, I'm frightened for the people who are now, right now, experiencing that and having to think and question doctors' motives. I think right. that is a perfect setup. That is a perfect setup to question this hospital's motives. Um, right. So I, I, to, to continue to finish what I had been saying about that, um, what I want – our audience to understand, when we talk about pro-life, we include individuals like 13-year-old Jahi McMath, and anybody, don't have to be 13, you mean 13, 33, or 13 weeks in the womb, the basic underlying pro-life ethic that we on this program, Pro-Life Fridays Radio, want to articulate for anybody and everybody is that right. your life does not end when your utility ends for other people. Let me say that right. again. One's life should not, I should say should not, because it happens a lot, one's life should not end when your utility ends for other people. And that applies to abortion, and it applies to Jahai McMath. And right. In this case, the, from what I hear, uh, what I know of the pro-euthanasia crowd, uh, And the ethics that they purportedly try to uphold is that when your life is really of no use to anyone else, then you ought to die. Well, you know what? Who said the same thing? Do you know? (laughs) I'm going
2: to take take a wild guess and say Margaret Sanger.
0: No, I wasn't thinking about her directly, but it would be in the silver? same vein. She would. well Shipper? yes. You know what? Yes to all, yes to both. Because they they're not the original people who said this on video, <laughs> on film strip, I should say. The oldest video that I found of somebody saying this. Um and we can, you know, it doesn't have to be this is ne- not necessarily 20th century. We can find this This pro-death ethic This is what it is Throughout all human History But particularly chilling In the early 20th century And the person I was thinking of Was George Bernard Shaw Who basically said those exact words If you are of no use Right If you are of no use to society Then society Doesn't have a real uh, a, a real reason to keep you alive, and, and it's very sad to hear um, people putting Jahai McMath in that category. That she's right. better. If you throw the organ donation stuff in, you know, it's it's better that she does die, basically. At least you get get something out of her, which is, I know, I know I'm grossing myself out. I'm sorry. It must be one of those things that's affecting me today. But it is it is so sad to understand how this is all playing out. And, you know, this, these utilitarians, and that's a nice way of putting it, look at her as nothing but a body. And they're going to say, oh, she's brain dead. She's brain dead. Well, that remains to be 100% determined as our guest on the line is going to tell us and real quick who do we have on the line
1: i am
3: on the line this is dr paul Byrne, and i am on the line
0: all right dr Byrne, you you are welcome to the show i am Um, glad you you. are Um, with us today welcome to pro-life fridays
3: yes thank you for having me on the show you're very welcome.
0: So I, you're more than welcome. I'm actually very enthusiastic about having you on the program. Now I sent uh, – I'm going to ask one question. And then my co-host today, my wonderful co-host Thomas, it's going to take over for a few minutes because I have some business that I need to attend to. I know, terribly unprofessional, Letitia. Uh, but, Dr. Byrne, uh, thank you again for coming on the program. I have one. I want to start with this um, and to talk about the medical ethics and, and the perspective that is, that is happening. And then we'll be, talk about the exact situation with the doctors and the, the, the ethics in the hospital. Now, you had just written... Uh, an article titled "Jehai is Not Truly Dead" Wesley Smith, and that was uh, that was right before Christmas when this first hit the news, uh, really early on. And I have a question for you, which is: Now, I, I'm a strong admirer of Wesley J. Smith and have been generally impressed with much of what he has to say on medical ethics and bioethics. Uh, But briefly, please tell us what your position is uh, when you responded at Renew America to his comments on this quote-unquote brain-dead issue and Jahai McMath. Please tell us what you were were meant to say about
1: that.
3: Well, um, uh, you you put a lot into that question. The, The first Thing uh, about the words "brain dead." Uh, when people hear that, what they really hear is "as dead," and people know what "dead" is, uh, but people have no idea what it means. Uh, what this other thing called "brain death" means, and and uh, and actually, uh, it has so many meanings that it can mean a lot of different things. But basically, what it amounts to. Uh, is that uh, according to what some doctor says, uh, that the brain uh, isn't functioning. uh, And and, uh, and, uh, they follow some sets of criteria, but there are so many different sets. The first set was published uh, in uh, 1968, And between 1968 and 78, there were 30 different sets of criteria published. And there are many different sets of criteria published since that time. And uh, this was uh, uh, analyzed and reviewed in the journal called Neurology in 2009. And there was no consensus as to which set of criteria uh, should be followed. Uh, furthermore, in 2010, they uh, wrote that that uh, brain-related criteria are not uh, evidence-based. Uh, that that is, they uh, don't have good scientific studies as to uh, uh, which uh, criteria they should follow. And then what they did at that time was just made up another set of criteria, and and uh, uh, and. And criteria, by the way, are supposed to be observations by which you make judgments. But uh, uh, so uh, uh, to then uh, apply this to uh, uh, Jahai, uh, Jahai is a 13-year-old girl who uh, uh, had the problem with the operation and then uh, was... uh, uh, resuscitated, and, uh, and uh, within a very short time, uh, they declared that she uh, was uh, brain dead. and uh, uh, Jahai has a beating heart. Uh, she has circulation. She has respiration, uh, uh, as recent uh, uh, as uh, last evening. Uh, when I uh, watched her uncle uh, touch her right arm and right hand, uh, she m- moved that arm and moved the shoulder uh, and uh, did it briskly. Uh, uh, she uh, uh, has had, uh, uh, is still showing that kind of response. Uh, she's had no nutrition except uh, just sugar water. Uh, which is uh, amounts to something like 7-Up uh, so that people can understand how much energy there is in that. It's just sugar, and it's uh, 5% sugar, which is kind of like 7-Up. But that's all she's had in the way of, uh, of uh, intake for three weeks. Uh, she's been without nutrition. She ha- has to be uh, deficient in, in uh, fats, deficient in protein. Uh, her uh, uh, thyroid stimulating hormone uh probably is not uh, uh functioning so she 's thyroid deficient uh thyroids necessary for life and uh, uh, these things are going on, and she's been kept from getting any of these things uh since they uh, made that decoration of of uh, uh, brain death and of course uh uh People hear just death, but brain death is is not true death. It never was, and it never will be. Uh, And uh, it was something that was uh, uh, invented, uh, made up to get organs for transplantation, and and, uh, they want to quickly get to that declaration so they can get organs. And then, if the uh, relatives, uh, in this case, the mother refuses to give organs, well, then the uh, the person is uh, useless, uh, if you want to call it that, and they determine that they're going to stop the treatment. Uh, and Jehiah is one that brings this to the su- to the surface, uh, but uh, this is uh, going on. You uh, mentioned the article that I. Uh, uh wrote at uh, Renew America. I wrote another one of, uh not too long before that. It was called uh, Execution in a New York Hospital. Uh that drew little or no attention, uh, in spite of such a uh, uh, uh a title to the article and uh that that uh happened to uh in, involved an, an adult uh who uh, was uh uh, uh, healthy, physically collapsed at home, was resuscitated, taken to the hospital, and for whatever reason, they decided that uh, he was not a candidate for organs and, and, uh, and at that point uh, made the declaration of uh, brain death. And in a few days, they took away his life support. They took away his ventilator, and uh, he had brainwave activity on his EEG. Uh, and of course, what happens in, uh, and, uh, in all of this that has to do with uh, 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 with this uh, declaration of uh, uh, of brain death is that that uh, they they have certain observations that they pay attention to, and if they don't show that, uh, uh, then they uh, make the declaration of uh, of uh, brain death, and. They don't check any other kinds of observations, and they don't give any other treatment. It, it's uh, 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 it, it's uh, uh, the kind of thing that that I became uh, aware of in 1975 when I had a, a baby, Joseph, that I was taking care of, uh, and uh, Joseph had uh, flat brain waves, and what was written on his chart was consistent with cerebral death uh, were the words on his chart. And, and uh, I looked at uh, Joseph and looked at the word death. I thought, that does not belong on Joseph. What, why is it there? Uh, and, uh, and so it was suggested to stop treating Joseph, but I didn't do that. I continued to treat him. Uh, eventually, uh, he was able to be weaned from the ventilator. Uh, and and went to school, got straight A's, ran track, played baseball. He's married, has three children. Uh, But uh, so in 1975, when I started to study this subject, and it uh, became uh, clear uh, that it was not based on any kind of uh, uh, studies that would be uh, acceptable uh, scientifically for anything else. They... uh, uh, they didn't do uh, studies on dogs or cats or rats. Uh, they didn't really uh, uh, do evaluation on uh, human beings. They, they uh, uh, just wrote the article with only one reference, and that was not to any kind of a scientist. And with that, they uh, uh, made up the Harvard criteria, and they called it uh, a Declaration of Irreversible Coma. Now, somebody's in coma is alive. They're not dead. So they knew that, and then they knew that they had to make it a law. So Kansas was the first state to get a brain death law, and now every state has a brain death law. And, and the laws are all set up to get organ. The, the uh, Uniform Determination of Death Act, the Uniform Anatomical Gift Act, and then the law that everybody has heard about is called the HIPAA Law. Uh, and the uh, HIPAA law you, you uh, become aware of when you uh, go to the doctor or the pharmacist or the insurance uh, uh, agent, and uh, people think that that's there to keep your records private. Well, let me tell you, uh, the first day that you get into medical school, they uh, they remind you that you have to keep everything private and don't discuss things in the cafeteria or the uh, the elevator, and so we all know and nurses know even more than doctors do about keeping it private so it wasn't necessary to have a law for that, but what was the law for? Go read the law and you'll find 14 ways that the government can use your information without your permission and and uh, and one of them is to get your organs uh, and, right. and so all of the laws are set up to get your organs and yes, uh, Jahai it is alive. I can't uh tell you anything further than that, except that uh she does need treatment you know, she does need treatment she's uh uh it, it isn't that she uh, uh has an ordinary illness like a cold or something like that she has she's seriously ill uh she ought to be in, in an intensive care unit where she can be uh treated properly uh as far as I know. Uh, no uh, no hospital, no intensive care unit was willing to take her. The last I heard was that, that a rehab hospital, or, uh, nursing home kind of thing, will take her, but they have to do a tracheostomy. Uh, and right. the reason you have to do a tracheostomy on her, because she has an endotracheal tube, with a tube that goes down uh, uh, into her airway, uh, through her mouth, and, and she has that, and the problem is if that comes out, she has to be where somebody comes in, so if she gets a tracheostomy, then she's easier to take care of, and so of course, that that's better than where she is now, where they refuse to do anything to help her, other than giving her the sugar water in the vein with salt, they give her saline, and she's right. on the ventilator. And, uh, and she gets uh, vasopressin, which helps to uh, keep her electrolytes in balance. Uh, so she needs to get away from that and get to where she can get better treatment.
2: Dr. Byrne, this is Thomas. Um, I'm stepping in for Letitia. I'm the other co-host. And um, this is my question, and you alluded to it. So do you feel that this in an unethical sense is really about the harvesting of organs. Well, in your
3: opinion. That, that, that is the root of what this is all about. Uh, uh, and uh, you, you see, uh, they wanted to, in 1967, they wanted to do heart transplants. And when they waited till true death was there, uh, the heart was not able to be transplanted. The, 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 all of our organs and tissues of our body need oxygen. And, and to get oxygen, there has to be circulation. And so right. when the circulation stops, in about four to five minutes, the heart is so damaged that you can't transplant it. The liver is so damaged that you can't transplant it. So they had to find a way to do this. Now, Before they found a way to do it, they did a heart transplant in South Africa. Christian Bernard, it was known all over the world. But then when I asked people, what about the second heart transplant? Nobody knows the answer to that. But three days later, they did the second heart transplant in Brooklyn, New York. They cut beating heart out of a three-day-old baby and transplanted it into an 18-day-old baby. And at the end of their operations, uh, uh, both babies were dead. It was uh, illegal. It was immoral. And no. so, so they had to find a way to get around this. So they uh, set up a committee at Harvard, and Harvard uh, 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 published the article, A Definition of Irreversible Coma. They're alive. Uh, and and uh, from that, then, they said they had to make it legal, and they proceeded to make it legal starting with the first law in 1970 and then getting the, uh, a law across all the states uh, uh, that they published in 1981. And all the states have a law that that uh, uh, says that, and it uses language that sounds strong, uh, irreversible cessation of all functions of the entire brain, including the brain stem. all of that sounds very strong, but that uh, determination uh, is made in accord with accepted medical standards. Well what's right. the accepted medical standards? They vary from hospital to hospital. they vary from state to state uh, and and, uh, and so anything is acceptable and that's how they were able to do that do this with uh uh jahai any anybody can go see jahai and know that she is not truly dead uh right. does she have something seriously wrong with her yes she does well what do we do when somebody is serious seriously wrong wrong with them seriously ill you go to intensive care units but that's not what they've done with jahai they've they've uh put her off in a room, gave, gave her just a ventilator with vasopressin and sugar, water, and salt, and that's all, uh, and and made it not easy for her mother and grandmother and relatives uh, to even get to see her, even for others to get to see her also. Well, and I have I kind have of one, it's a two-part question,
2: and and I'm a, a, a preference something after you give me the answer. Are you in direct contact and interaction with the family?
3: Do you am get to I talk in direct, to, I'm sorry. Am I in direct yes. contact with what?
2: Are you in direct contact with the family? Do you get to talk to her mother
3: or and in, in
2: father or grandmother?
3: But, uh, my 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 hearing is not good, so uh, you have to uh, accept the I'm fact. I, have, have, have I been in direct contact with her mother and her grandmother? Yes. Yes. Well,
2: the, here's the reason why I asked. Um, you you were saying earlier that you know they called different facilities all around the country trying to. Uh, Trying to um, find a place for her. Well, I had made a phone call to uh, to Children's Mercy Hospital
3: here in Kansas
2: City, Missouri, and yeah, um,
3: uh, I just uh, interject there. Uh, it, it's it's not a matter of finding a building to put her into. It's not a matter of finding an intensive care unit to put her into. It's a matter of finding doctors and nurses and respiratory therapists who want to take care of of a a child like uh, Jahai who uh, uh, needs the kind of intensive care that people with uh, severe problems with their brain need. Now, the time to do this was three weeks ago. And right. yes, lots of time has gone by. So whatever it is, it makes the outlook not as good as it used to be. But anybody with any common sense knows that that what you do uh, uh, when uh, death occurs, uh, uh, you embalm them or bury them. And why do you do that? Because lots of bad things happen once death occurred. Nothing has happened uh, uh, in terms of bad things except that uh, to Jahai except. Uh, she continues to live, and uh, right. she's not dead, and, but she's been deprived of, of nutrition. If, if you or I or anyone listening have only seven up to drink for three weeks, how much energy do you think you'd have for anything else? Uh, yes, right. it does keep her hydrated. It does keep her alive, but it's not what she needed for the last three weeks, and it's not what she needs now she needs to get good treatment. And, and uh, should somebody have to go across the country to get treatment? I think that's helpful. Nope. There, there yeah. ought to be uh, some place right here in California that's willing to care about a 13-year-old girl wow. who needs good care. And I can't tell you what the outlook is. I can tell you that she is a living person.
2: Right, and and that and I agree with you wholeheartedly, one hundred percent. And that that was one of the things that I was wondering: why is it there any facility in the state of California? But you know, I look at it like this: California, with that law that says if you're brain dead, then you can be um, declared legally dead. And the one thing that kept jumping out at me. In just my opinion, this is about organ harvesting. This is about organ harvesting because, you know, California also protected hospitals with limiting punitive damages to $250,000. So the hospital really didn't care about the money. The only thing they care about is harvesting the organs of that young lady. So um, I just, oh, Sorry, folks, but this, is, this, to me, It's a very pressing life issue. And I am going to now bring on um, a very good friend of yours, a very, very good friend of mine as well, uh, Walter Hoy. And he is going to talk about the, pro, the pro-life aspect of how, how this was a ample opportunity for the pro-life movement to really show that we care. So Walter, welcome to the show. Thank
3: you for calling in.
4: Thomas, well, it's a pleasure. Now, uh,
3: it, thank you for the comment. I, I uh, Just to uh, uh, clarify some things about why you can't do anything in California, uh, it, I think it amounts, uh, some of it amounts to who pays. And uh, w- once someone is uh, declared deceased, and they declared uh, uh, Jahai deceased on uh, uh, December the 12th, uh, you know, uh, uh, at that point, uh, uh, many times insurance companies will stop paying, and then so no other hospital wants to uh, uh, get a deceased, somebody who's deceased, you know, uh, somebody who's deceased, you go to the to the undertaker, Uh, 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 and, uh, uh, and of course, it would be wrong to do that, so please don't take it the wrong way, what I just said, but that's what happens when somebody's deceased, so no hospital wants to take uh, uh, somebody who's got the labels that, you know, when they said to this mother, as uh, the mother said, the doctor was in my face saying, dead, 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 uh, and and so how can you transfer somebody who's dead 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 that kind of thing so that's why nobody wants to participate and so that's why we're having to go all the way across the country to and then we're going all the way across the country flying over uh, children's hospitals intensive care units and uh, why because uh, uh, nobody wants to get involved with this as as one uh ear nose and throat doctor uh uh relate to me uh I can do the tracheostomy uh uh but I believe in brain death, and I don't want anything to do with it and and that's part of what gets in the way. who pays what wow. the uh what the doctors already believe in and they have to believe in what they have participated in and organ transplants are uh are so big and far and wide that uh uh that, that many uh doctors have participated either directly or in their training and the like. And uh so so uh they uh, are reluctant to go back on what they've already participated in. Wow. Wow. I I totally understand.
2: Walter, you there?
4: Yes sir. Yes sir.
2: Oh, man. Um, Dr. Burnham, he, he hit the nail on the head. Um, I am, I want you, Walter, to touch on the pro-life aspect of it, how we as the pro-life movement could have, you know, per, played a bigger part in helping to, uh, you know, get what is going on with your high out and maybe just maybe, in my opinion, we could have maybe put pressure on the hospital if you would speak to that. And then I think Letitia has a question for you as well.
4: I appreciate that. And and, uh, hi, Dr. Burns, good to talk to you again. Uh, Thomas, first, uh, you need to know that the Children's Hospital and the Jihad family uh, have come to an agreement to to transfer her to another facility. Now, I don't know the name of that facility, but that's today. That's as of today. An now, Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Now, the the, the transfer uh, is going to come at a price. The hospital is not going to take any liability, any responsibility at all, all the responsibility for moving Jahai, is on her mother, and, and that includes even should Jahai's her heart stop beating, it will all be on Jahai's mother to transfer her to the uh, other facility. Also note, I think that today um, the coroner uh, issued his certificate, so this is another label that uh, Dr. Byrne was talking about. Uh, and so these are. This is all happening today. There has been uh, two hearings today, federal court and county court, and this is this is what uh, has happened. Now about the pro life movement, I, I was um, uh, on December 22nd. I was uh, standing on a public sidewalk in front of the hospital, holding up a sign that said Praise to Jahai. and uh, well received. Uh, but uh, again, uh, I was the only one there, and I was hoping to see more of the pro life movement involved uh, at the time I got a chance to meet the sister. She was thankful that uh, we were praying for her or her sister and so that was a source of comfort. She invited me to come to the march. There was a march the very next day on Monday. the march was announced on television. Uh, uh, it was in the news, and I was hoping to have the pro-life w- movement come out and really support uh, this, this family, uh, because the family was leading the march. We at the hospital, and they marched uh, from the hospital and back to the hospital. Uh, there were a lot of pro-life signs that were, were out there, uh, many of the signs that you see ordinarily in, in a pro-life march. And, uh, again, I didn't see a lot. Uh, of uh, us out there, I was uh, disappointed uh, with that. So that was on the 22nd and in the march on on the 23rd. Now I have uh, since learned that behind the scenes there are other organizations working. But my but my concern again is, is that this was an opportunity uh, for us as pro-lifers to demonstrate how much we love the family, and be willing to stand with. Uh, The family, Uh, not with any agenda in mind, but just to simply say that we love them. Uh, Right. We are we are often as pro-lifers criticized for only loving the child in the womb and not the child outside the womb. This was an excellent opportunity for us to do that, and I think if 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 we had done that, uh, we would have made you know lots and lots of inroads, uh, particularly into the black community. So I was disappointed with, with that.
3: Well, Roger, I uh, uh, I uh, have no difficulty with your observation, uh, but uh, w- we have an organization called Life Guardian Foundation, uh, and uh, we are uh, what we do is protect and preserve life from true conception until true death. And Amen. and uh, and why do we have to have? that as a, a new, different, uh, you know, uh, uh, pro-life organization. It's because where do I find another one that will take that stand from true conception until true death? And, and I'm not taking shots at any other. I mean, I'm grateful to uh, for uh, the things that people do uh, to respect life But as Roger says, you have to respect life until true death. And anybody who says that true death already exists when the heart's beating and there's blood pressure and there's circulation and there's respiration and when you move her arm, her arm moves and her her shoulder moves. If someone says uh, that's death, I just say, well, they're stupid. Uh, And uh, that doesn't mean that Jahai uh, is uh, out on the playground with her friends like uh, like we wish she would be. Uh, uh, she's a sick little girl uh, in the hospital, needs treatment and care, and just like anybody else who is critically and seri- has a serious illness, uh, uh, we really don't know what's going to happen, uh, but we do know that we have a chance uh, uh, as long as that life is there then we need to do things uh uh, uh to uh, uh to support that life and yes uh uh Jahai has needed nutrition for the last 3 weeks and she's been deprived of that and that to me is uh, shameful uh and and uh yes they declared they were going to take away her ventilator and they would have but her mother stood up for her Praise God and thank God that her mother showed her motherly love and stood up for uh Jahai and 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 stopped that. And no matter what ha- happens, uh, she is is still uh, alive, still living uh, uh, three weeks later. Uh, and so, yes, uh, you're correct. The uh, uh, and these issues uh, cross all lines. They they. They, they don't ha- have to do uh, with uh, one's uh, religion uh, uh, they, uh, uh, they don't have to do with the race they don't have to do with uh, uh, where we live. The issues are the same uh, uh, We get our life from the Creator and then as human beings we're supposed to take care of our own life and take care of the life of the other ones around us you know first our family then. Uh, our neighbors and our friends and that kind of thing and we ought to have laws that protect life until true death but the laws have all been maneuvered and manipulated by the organ transplant industry which is a malt industry uh, right. and that, that's to get their organs now now that, that's what's at the root of all of this and yes. Uh, uh, we focus on how it is uh, uh, mistreatment to uh, uh, treat somebody who's sick as if they were uh, uh, dead. That's wrong to do that, and that's the the issue here. But how did it get to be like this? It got to be like this because of uh, what's happened in the organ transplant industry. My own study of this subject was to ask the question, is brain death uh, uh, based on valid scientific data? And it became clear to me uh, early on that it was, was not. And we we published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, we published an article uh, in the Gonzaga Law Review that's 85 pages, has 244 footnotes in it. We published about all of this in, in peer-reviewed journals. And uh we continue to take a stand, but then then uh, uh the uh the education is kept so that you're not allowed to hear these things except like a program and I'm grateful for your your um, uh allowing me to be on this program uh and and uh and but the time to get educated is when before you or your child gets uh, uh, gets uh, has a problem. Incidentally, at, at uh, Life Guardian Foundation, uh, we do have cards that you can carry with you that will protect and preserve your life. Uh, we have other things that, that we do to uh, help people so that they know how to protect and preserve their life. And you have to do it. Uh, uh, while you're uh, well and able to discuss and that kind of thing because once you get into the uh, clutches of the uh, organ transplant industry, uh, uh, then you don't have much chance. And to get into those clutches, all you have to do is be unconscious on a, and on a ventilator and that's the signal to call the Organ Procurement Organization and, and uh, the, these things are happening all over not just here in, uh, in Oakland, California uh, but it's happening all over and I didn't start out to be against organ transplants I, I uh, knew uh, nothing about it mine was just a scientific study is brain death true death and it is not and then over time it became clear to me that I had to be paying more attention to what was happening with the transplant industry, and, and uh, so I say these things after uh, many years of study and it, uh, study and concern. And it isn't that I don't have concern about people who are uh, seriously ill; I do, uh, but <clears throat> but I'm not willing to uh, uh, cause the death of someone to get an organ or even to. Cause someone to get weaker to get an organ? No, that's not the correct approach that uh, that we should have. Amen.
2: Letitia, you you're you've been waiting quietly. You have a question for either Walter or Doctor Byrne?
0: Um, Yeah, I do. For for Doctor Byrne, just wanted to shift. Uh, I, I hear everything you say, and it's really really impactful. I wanted to ask though. Uh, because of the unique case of Jahai's uh, happening to, to become unconscious and then declared brain dead, uh, there was a suspicion that I had. I have a suspicion that the hospital is hiding some malpractice that put her in this position. Um, is it also possible that they want her to expire quickly so that people will stop asking questions?
3: Okay. I know uh, you're... Um uh your uh, question came to me uh, uh kind of broken so so oh, uh okay, uh so i uh, and it doesn't have to do so much with you as it does with my uh hearing uh uh but uh if i uh answer the question uh it uh maybe I should ask you to ans- ask it again so i make sure i have sure. the right question
0: could the hospital be hiding some malpractice given that your had slipped into unconsciousness uh, fairly quickly over, over minor surgery?
4: Well,
3: uh, to answer that question, uh, I, I don't know the answer to that question. And, and, uh, uh, and uh, maybe there is something to hide, but w- what's out there and uh, apparent uh, is that the, uh, Jahai has a serious problem after the surgery she did not have that problem uh before the surgery so uh, there there the, are uh, questions that have to be uh, answered uh, uh regarding that uh uh and and uh i i don't want to sound uh uh uncaring or cruel or or w- whatever this is all about all all i do know is that uh, Jahai is a living person, she's seriously ill, she does need treatment, and, and, uh, uh, and, uh, and uh, what we want to do is get treatment for her. The ideal place for her to get treatment is in an intensive care unit in a children's hospital. But you see, as I started to say before, and I didn't quite finish, uh, what she needs is doctors and nurses who care you see, if if a doctor or nurse just looks at her and says, "Oh, she's brain dead," uh, they don't care, you know, and they'll they, they will walk away or not get involved. When when uh, uh, when uh, a person, when a patient is seriously ill, doctors put their heart and soul into helping them to get well, uh, and uh, and and so uh, they have to care about her as a person uh, when somebody can't do things like move. You have to move them all the time. You have to, uh, on the ventilator, you have to suction. You have to do blood gases to uh, uh, other things to determine how to use the ventilator, how to give the ventilator. You have to give nutrition. All of these things we do on a regular basis when uh, when people are seriously ill uh, in, in the hospital. But we do that when we want to make them get well. But uh, what happens is that when things go bad and they have the cardiorespiratory arrest and they immediately said she had lack of oxygen to her uh, brain, and when the mother didn't say yes to organ transplants, then that meant no treatment. And, and when, in fact, when the brain doesn't function, uh, uh, one of the things that happens is the pituitary gland doesn't produce thyroid stimulating hormone and adrenal cortical uh, stimulating hormone. Uh, and uh, le- these things are necessary to uh, get Jahai well. And, and, uh, and so we're
4: uh,
3: ho- hopeful to get them uh, into her. But of course, uh, everybody has to know it's very late uh, uh, to do things. If somebody's without nutrition for three weeks. Uh, And then they're going to try to get them well. Well, yes, they can get well, but uh, 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 so only time will tell how all this works out. But I do know that uh, she's uh, uh, someone who's very much alive, and she needs to get treatment, and uh, hopefully it will come soon.
0: All right. Uh, Thank you so much for your insight. I think that is that is. Way more information that I ever thought was uh, possible to know about this. I'm so thankful for that. And yeah, I think we do need to be in, in deep care about a breakthrough for for her and her family and um, and uh, Walter. I I want to oh, let me ask you this: What so so they have a facility uh, that is willing to to take Jahai and take care of her? Um, is that going to move forward? I mean, does she? Ha- I would assume that she would need to move fairly quickly, and are they going to move forward with that?
4: They are going to move forward with that. that that's in, in, in the news even, and uh, I'm asking everyone to be in prayer for the family. The mother is taking Absolutely. on personal responsibility for the entire move and anything that could go wrong with that move. And so right now we're asking everyone to just lift this family up in prayer.
3: Yes, that's so important. To uh, Everyone needs to be uh, praying and uh, uh, pray that, that, uh, that Jahai's life is uh, protected and preserved and that uh, doctors and nurses and uh, people with expertise uh, will come forward. And uh, hopefully... She won't have to go all the way across the country, but uh, uh, what I've encouraged is that wherever she goes, it will be a place of uh, where she is safe so that uh, uh, people won't be doing things like imposing death on her. Uh, uh, and uh, so we want her to live, and we want to get good
0: treatment for her. Agreed. Agreed. We'll. Gentlemen, I want want to ask you for the time that we have left, um, uh, Walter, you can go first. What do you want the public to know from this this particular situation? You know, you can be as general as you like um, based on this specific instance. Um, I I really do think we've tried to hammer very hard the ethical uh, dilemma that needs to be overcome here. It's not a dilemma for us who are... For we who are pro-life but what would you like the public to know based on this case and and, uh, Walter you can go first and then uh, Dr. Byrne
3: well uh, one thing that I would uh, uh, whenever you say things uh, words have meanings and uh, people uh, get used to uh, I'm used to well maybe that's not quite right but words are often distorted Uh, you used ethics and uh, another one is morals but um,
4: mm-hmm.
3: but uh, they're really not any different except one is rooted in Greek and the other one's rooted in, in Latin. They amount to is how one ought to behave, and and ought is a special word because the root of ought is to owe. And so, uh, uh, what should uh, uh, how should ethics be? It's what do we owe to our fellow man. And the first thing that we owe is that we don't kill them. The next thing that we owe is we don't harm them, and uh, and uh, and uh, and so uh, uh, the the public has to uh, has to know that uh, really uh, their life is in jeopardy. Uh, in the uh, multi-billion-dollar organ transplant industry, because uh, uh, if they don't have your organs, they have no industry, and so mm-hmm. they have to get uh, get their get your organs. And so they have devised and invented the laws, and the laws are all set up to get your organs. The laws are not there to uh, to protect uh, your life. And so there's much to be done, and yes, uh, education is part of it, uh, uh, but it's really uh, uh, pretty simple. People know what life is. They know that they're a a living person, and even though while we talk to each other, uh, uh, we're talking and listening, but we aren't doing that with just our brains. You know, our heart's beating, uh, uh, the livers are functioning, kidneys are functioning, we're uh, our, our whole body and our body, but we aren't just a body, but but there's a spiritual principle and the life is the unity of that spiritual and physical and the uh, life does end until the spiritual is gone and then the uh, the life changes. The, uh, uh, uh the living body uh, goes, uh, becomes a dead body by going through true death. And Jahai has not gone through true death. And it's not too difficult to figure these things out. Uh, and, uh, you, you don't have to have some, uh, super duper education, uh, uh, to know the difference between life and death. And that's what we're talking about as, we protect and preserve life until true death, and one ought not be imposing death or imposing harm on another person for whatever reason.
0: Agreed. And how how can somebody find more information? You mentioned a website in the foundation that you are uh, you represent. How can somebody find yes. more information about that?
3: LifeguardianFoundation.org. Excellent.
0: And Walter Hoy, uh, do you have any words for us uh, to speak out of this in general, uh, out of this particular situation?
4: My heart just goes out to Jahai. Uh, I- I'm praying that, that the God, our God, raises her, and I would ask everyone to to pray along those lines. I'm also praying for this family. Uh, this has been a tremendous uh, ordeal for the entire family, especially the mother. And I'm just asking everyone to lift the mom and the family up in prayer.
0: How would somebody who wants to, in the pro-life community, who wants to become involved and show their support for the family and uh, and as as Thomas said, put that necessary pressure, that public pressure on wanting to see her her life sustained and her healed. Uh, on how do they get involved and how do they get in touch with family?
3: The Jerry Schiavo Foundation is uh, uh, helping a whole lot. Uh, uh, you know, our Life Guardian Foundation. We need all the help and support we can get, but. But uh, we we keep on no matter what. We protect and preserve life until true death. And uh, we need to, uh, so Terry Siawo Foundation, and we need to find a way to for people to uh, learn about these things so that they uh, uh, learn the truth. We we do have a website. You can go there and see presentation that I uh, presentations that I've given on this subject. You can read about it. Uh, and uh, and learn about it that way But everybody needs to learn And you need the cards that you can get from us Some people have called them opt-out cards uh, And you need to sign them And uh, witness them And date them And everybody needs to carry those cards with them It says you want to live uh, The length of time that God gives you You don't want anybody to hasten your death Or shorten your life Don't do an apnea test The apnea test is not a test for sleep apnea, but they did this to Jahai three times. They took away her ventilator for up to, uh, one time I know it was for nine minutes and without a breath, and that's like being suffocated for nine minutes. They did it to her three times, and and people need to know no, no, no to the apnea test. They need to carry these cards and no to organ transplantation, they need to carry have these cards with them at all times. They need to learn about it and, uh, and take a stand for life. And it isn't that I'm not concerned about uh, about people who are seriously ill. I am, but we need to find treatments that don't involve uh, uh, killing other people or harming, injuring, making them weaker uh, in order to get their organs for somebody else.
0: Amen. Um, and, Walter, uh, do you have anything in order to, to add to that?
4: <laughs> no, I don't. I, I love you guys. Thank you for having us on, allowing us to talk a little bit about this. Uh, All right. Again, how, can people,
0: wanna... how can people yeah. find out more about uh, Issues for Life?
4: Come to the, our website, Issues for Life, and that's plural, and that's the number four issuesforlife.org, or they can just simply type in Walter Hoye, H-O-Y-E, Issues for Life Foundation on Facebook, and there's a lot of information there, uh, including pictures of me and the family. So they can find out a lot there. Excellent.
0: Excellent. Um, Thomas, did you have anything you wanted to add?
2: Well, I just wanted to say to Dr. Byrne, um, especially thank you for your fight for life, not just from true conception, but to true death, because that's what this show represents. We've dealt with every issue of life under the sun, from the embryonic stem cell research to the human trafficking, to euthanasia, to the elderly abuse. So we've covered it. And so we appreciate your willingness to come on, taking time out of your schedule. And, Walter, you know we love you as well because, you know, we've had an opportunity to build relationship with you in Chicago and on this show. And so, obviously, we love you. And and I couldn't have reached out to a, a better person in the pro-life movement to to advocate on the behalf of your high. So thank you to both very much.
4: God bless you. Thank God you all you. very much. All
3: right. All right. Can
0: you hear me? <laughs> so,
2: Leticia? All right. So.
3: Just,
0: the phone slipped out of my hand. But I wanted to thank, you for, thank our guests uh, for being on our show. I have one last thing for the stupidest thing ever, and I know time is running out quickly on us. Uh, did you hear about the the Russian ship carrying the 52 scientists that was stuck in an ice floe in Antarctica?
2: Yes, I did. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: and it's funny. Thank you. So go ahead.
0: Well, what I wanted to say about that and point out for that is the reason these scientists were sailing to the Antarctic and didn't quite make it to land is because they were studying the effects of global warming. Now, I'm not going to be on on this show to argue the merits of whether global warming is happening or not happening, but... If you can't reach your destination because the ice is thicker than ever before, the winds are blowing harder than ever before, in the middle of summer in the Antarctic, Uh Uh, the irony, I just wanted to point out the irony of that. That's all.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I had to post on that one myself the other day because... uh, Ooh. And the funny thing about it, they were still talking about, wealth. This doesn't, this doesn't prove that global warming isn't happening, okay? Um, yeah, okay, you go with that. Oh,
0: but stick to the narrative, just stick to the narrative.
2: Exactly, <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, that is your stupidest thing of the day.
0: Yeah, oh, well, I had to add to that one more part of that, and I think it was the other, the mainstream media. However, hadn't those scientists were there, uh, trying to study global warming, I think they conveniently left that that little factoid out.
2: <laughs> well, because it made them look stupid too. <laughs> so, because they're always trumpeting the the global warming, but anyway, Pro Life Fridays. Radio, love you all. We had a phenomenal show this week, and tune in next week because our phenomenally awesome co-host, well, hostess, will be back in her host chair, and I'll get to sink back into the Netherlands of da 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 the chat room. So, Latisha, right. anything else for
0: you to say? Just good night, and uh, we will see everybody on the show again next week. Not see, yes, literally see, but you know what I mean. (laughs)
2: Yes, ma'am. Have a good night. All
0: right. Good night. Bye, everybody. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.